Welcome to Generous Impact. My name is Brett Brummett. And my name is Amanda Brummett. We are joined today by Jorge Medina, the CEO of Texas Diaper Bank. In this episode, you'll hear about their amazing work providing for people's basic needs with both dignity and respect. Their programming includes infant and adult diapers, period products, parenting classes, and even potty training. Well, Jorge, thank you so much for being here with Brett and I today. We really appreciate your time. I would love for you to start by telling our listeners about your background. Who are you personally and professionally? Sure. So um, I grew up in a small town in Texas. It's Laredo. It's a border city. We're right next to uh, Nuevo Laredo, Tamaulipas, Mexico. And so we grew up on a, I grew up in a border city and I lived there, you know, my childhood life. I went to school there. I went to university there. And then eventually I made my way up to San Antonio, Texas. You know, uh, San Antonio is only two hours away from, from Laredo. And uh, coming to the Alamo City was something that we would do often as a family. And so I always knew that I wanted to reside in uh, San Antonio, Texas, because it's a much larger city uh, with a little bit of over 2.2 million in population uh, compared to Laredo, who had 250,000 in population. So there was a little bit of a difference. And I always uh, liked San Antonio. I loved it and decided uh, to move here uh, professionally. Um, I started up in the banking world, I was in banking for 10 years. And it was really banking that got me introduced uh, to doing community service. We had our group of employees that would go out into the community and take on different community service projects. And it was through that, that I really started getting a real passion for making a difference in people's lives. So after my 10 year stint in banking, I decided that I wanted to try something in the nonprofit arena. And so I got a job with the city of Laredo's economic development department as a grant writer. I had never been a grant writer before. I was extended that opportunity and I really enjoyed it. And that get led to another opportunity with uh, an environmental study center at the Laredo Community College. And after that, there was an organization called Mi Laredo Goals for the 90s that I uh, worked at for a couple of years. And then finally, I just made my way up to San Antonio and uh, and started working here uh, with this organization. Yeah, and you you say the organization. I know twenty years ago it was under a different name and had a different focus. What originally drew you to what is now the Texas Diaper Bank at that point in time? So you know, I don't know if it was a calling or something pulling me towards this organization, but uh, Brett, you know. A long time ago, there actually were ads in the newspapers when they were looking for (laughs) job opportunities. And I saw posting it and it was just something about the posting that, you know, called to me and said, you know, this sounds like a very interesting organization. And I also like the idea that it was a small and up and coming organization. And in I am the type of person that likes a challenge. I also like the opportunity to grow something from nothing. Uh, as the other organizations I had worked with were very small and we were able to grow them into something more. Uh, So I think that that's what drew me to that. I also like the fact that it was addressing the needs of poor families, poor individuals in poor communities throughout San Antonio. And there's a lot of need 
And I think that that is one of the things that I've always been passionate about is helping those that are in need. Yeah. And so, I mean, you mentioned it started, it was a startup organization. I know it was under the, um, was it the Hispanic community found, what was the original name? The Hispanic Religious Partnership Community Health Inc. Right. <laughs> so a lot to digest. Um, yes. At that time, it looked like the organization had, you know, it was trying to meet a ton of needs in the community it was serving. And I'm guessing that's because there were needs in different of the churches that banded together to fix needs. But you guys made a shift and started really focusing. Can you tell us about that journey from that multifaceted community needs organization, the one that narrowed its focus to, to do a more targeted impact? Sure. So there were ten, it, it was founded by 10 Hispanic United Methodist churches at the time. And the churches were located in some of the poorest communities in San Antonio. And they just didn't have the resources to be able to provide outreach ministries in those communities that they were located in. And so being a church, you know, you have uh, families, individuals that come and knock on your door, uh, express their needs. I need I need help with food. I need help with utilities. I need help with clothing. Uh, you know, there's there's I need help with rent and so on and so forth. So these churches lacking those resources you know, they started up this organization and that was, that was our job was to really provide them with those resources so they could address the needs in their communities. And those, and those needs really were focused everything from running food pantries to after school programs, uh, clothing closets, um, everything that is, and, and, and I, I hate using the word typical, but it is typical ministry that churches do, you know, let's, let's, let's feed the hungry, let's clothe the needy. And then let's try to provide some other resources that they may need. And so uh, it was, you know, trying to address all those different needs. But it was through the food pantries that families would show up and ask for food. But they always had that one question about, do you have any diapers for my child? Do you all happen to have any diapers that you can provide me with because I'm out of diapers? You know, and so we kept hearing that question and and we knew that uh, there was a need and it was unaddressed because unlike food, it is a non-perishable item and there's not a lot of donations on diapers that were going around through food banks. You know, they, they you know, wholesalers and retailers are not just going to give that away. Uh, so at the time, uh we knew there was a need. There was uh, no way of really truly addressing it and addressing it in a way that was going to really be impactful to families. Uh, but I'll tell you a story that really was the 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 moment when we said we really are going to take it on as as a mission. And it was uh, so back in back in the day, there was a resource guide that was provided by United Way. And if someone would would show up and had a need, we would re reference this guide and we would refer them to another organization to address those needs. So a young mom shows up with her newborn baby and she needed diapers. Our intake specialist referred her to a clinic that was located several miles away from the uh, location where we were at. And so at the time, the mom didn't have transportation. So trying to be helpful, we gave her two bus passes put her on a bus and off she went to go get this help. Two hours later, she was back at our office and she asked for me, the CEO. And she said, I want to talk to your CEO. And, and, and she 
you know, made it a point to talk to me because she said, I want to let you know what happened. I got on this bus with my new baby. I rode the bus for about an hour. I get to this place where you referred me to. And do you know how many diapers they gave me? She raised up her hand and she showed me two fingers. So she goes, two diapers. That's all I got. And I've already used them up. She said, if you really want to help families, you really need to think about doing something better. And that really pulled at my heartstrings. And I'm just one of those persons that if you challenge me in, in that way, I'm going to try to figure it out. So I sat down with the staff at the time. And I say the staff, and that's just really just two other people in the room. And we sat down and we started having a conversation about, well, what are actually nonprofits doing to address this need? There's a whole list of organizations that say they provide diapers. But if people are going over there, what's really happening when you know, all that these organizations are able to do is give them two diapers. So what we found out is, is simply they relied on donations um, and they would ration out those diapers because the, all they could do was provide them on an emergency basis. Mm. So I thought, you know, we just got to do something better. And, and that's what led us to start off a diaper bank for a, a diaper program. It wasn't a diaper bank at the time. It was a diaper program. And so we got a grant and our goal that year was to be able to distribute diapers to 500 children, but by word of mouth, it grew and we end up serving 1500 children by the end of that year. So we knew we were on to something. <laughs> and so through that change, obviously you were super instrumental. I mean, it came with a face-to-face -face challenge, essentially. What kind of opposition has you guys shifted from that to really honing in on the diaper need like did you have organizational or donor opposition during that transition you had to work around once we made the, the 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 decision and it was really something that i was very passionate about and i think that you know passion can be contagious yeah. <laughs> and so once we started to meet with the board at the time and these were pastors from the church and and lay people from the church from the different churches uh at the time and we had a couple of community members too. Uh, we started having a discussion of where we really wanted to make an impact. And, and, and if we really wanted to make an impact, we needed to address those needs that were not being addressed. We knew that there were other churches and other organizations that already had food pantries, that already had clothing closets. So we felt that the way that we could best help the Hispanic communities that these churches were serving and serve the people and other people that they were serving was to address those essential needs that nobody else was addressing. So and, it wasn't a hard yeah. sell. It wasn't oh, a hard good. sell, Brett. You know, it took time, but it wasn't a hard sell. <laughs> Perfect. Well, and, and I think I might, might want to back up here just for a second because I forgot to kind of mention it. I'm super familiar with San Antonio. Amanda, as you are, I don't know if all of our listeners are. San Antonio is a highly Hispanic heritage city. Be a fair assessment of it. So, I mean, when you're talking about a Hispanic community, you're really talking about the larger community overall in San Antonio. That's correct. You know, we, yeah. we do have a predominantly Hispanic community. As I mentioned previously, where these churches were located, those neighborhoods were predominantly Hispanic. And, and not only just Hispanic, but poor Hispanic families. You know, uh, you know and, and these can run the gamut, everything from the south side of San Antonio to the west side to the east side of San Antonio. And then we have pockets of poverty throughout San Antonio. You know, even in some very affluent neighborhoods, you know, uh, there's a little pocket of poverty that you'll find, you know, so. 
it, it really runs the gamut of the whole city and, and county. Uh, well, I am really happy that you were there to hear that lady that day and meet that need. And I love that you put it into action. I want to transition into what you guys do today, but I do want to go back to one thing. I also used to apply for jobs through the newspaper. I had someone ask me the other day how I got my first couple jobs out of college. And I said, from the newspaper. And they looked at me with this blank look. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how we used to get jobs, like professional jobs. <laughs> totally foreign right, concept today. Every Sunday, you would scour the... Uh- Yes, uh, the um, you know the employee employment listings. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So Texas Diaper Bank today, um, you've provided over six million infant and adult diapers to the community. You have the incontinent assistance program through that. You provide period products to Bear County residents. You partner with other agencies to provide these items outside of the county. You do disaster aid. You do parenting classes. How do you do it all? I think that, you know, I've been very blessed that, you know, as a nonprofit, you know, we are we we're faced with a challenge. We 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 see the need and then we say we're going to take it on. We want to make sure that we're doing it correctly. And then we look for the funding resources. We've been so blessed to have such wonderful funders throughout San Antonio everything from corporate foundations to family and private foundations, community foundations like San Antonio area, you know, foundation and so on and so forth. And then there's, and then there's just the, you know, people who are so generous and giving who have also wanted to, you know, provide us with funding to be able to address these different needs. And I think it's because we're not just addressing uh, providing children's diapers, but also providing adult diapers, period supplies, and other essentials. I think that because we're broad in that in 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 the, in our scope of service, it'll pull at someone's heartstrings one way or another. You know. Yeah, and it seems like your organization's fairly nimble. That you see a need and you adapt to meet it. How how did you get into these different areas? And and there are so many needs. How do you pick where to spend your resources? So we really wanted to focus on what we considered health essentials. And so uh, diapers, unfortunately, are not classified as a medical supply. Neither are adult diapers or period supplies. Uh, And so we have been working diligently to try to change how people see these essentials uh, just as well as how government sees these essentials. Uh, most recently, uh, as uh, as you may or may not be aware, we have been working on this six for six years with Senator Howard from Austin and then Senator Huffton from from Houston and some other senators and representatives to pass a tax bill that would not to pass a tax bill, but to change the tax bill so that uh, there would be no more sales tax on these health essentials. And we were successful this year. The governor supported it and signed the bill. So we're one of those 21 states that no longer has sales tax on these health essentials. So that's a move and a step in the right direction. But I think that, you know, we continue to 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 address needs. These especially like I said, these are health essentials, for example, uh, one of the things that we are working on is trying to uh, get uh, period supplies in all the schools. It's imperative. It's a health essential. If you don't want girls to miss school, 
Because when you know that girls will miss at least two days out of the month because they don't have, you know, sufficient period supplies, you know, they're entitled, girls are entitled to the same level of education as boys are. So why should they have to miss two days out of school, you know, every month? It's just not fair. So these are things that we are trying to work on and hopefully government will come around and support these initiatives and and move uh, legislation in that direction. That's huge. And I love your root cause approach there. Um, it's really great. Yeah. Well, if you think about that, the impact you're making, your team has made, are you able to think of that in terms of specific cultural impact and improvements, you know, with either, you know, heritage community, cultural impact, or even just, you know, as you root down and, you know, we think of a lot of time as diapers as being predominantly a female issue, menstruation supplies as being a female issue. But I mean, it's really broader than that in the understanding. So how do you delineate it? And can you really even afford to think in terms of the different communities you impact that way? I think you have to think in regards to not just as a Hispanic community. For us, it, it we were passionate because that was the community we started serving and we were trying to help. But we really, I think that what 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 is important is how are you helping families and individuals? If you look at our statistics, our our, our statistics, our stats or or our data or demographics, what we are seeing is it's it's a lot of single moms, a lot of single parents. A lot of single dads. Uh, I think that when we started, you know, yes, it's the mom coming and asking for diapers for their child, but we get just as many dads asking for diapers too. In regards to uh, how does it impact and how does it help these families, you have to think about diapers beyond the beyond uh, the obvious. A child is crying, needs their diaper change. Pediatricians recommend that you change their their diaper X amount of times in order to avoid the development of diaper rash or a UTI. And, and definitely that was the first reasons why we did this. It's like, okay, we need to help families just have enough diapers to keep their babies healthy and dry. But as we looked at, at research and we've been involved in some other research, uh, we looked at that it's it's more than that. A diaper was necessary in order for parents to bond more with their child. Because a parent that is so stressed out economically and is not able to provide the necessary basic or meet the basic needs of a baby tends to distance themselves from that child. So it's it, it's it's creating that stress within the family and and families are not bonding and 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 parents are not bonding with that child they rather distance themselves because they feel that they're an inadequate parent parents that are anxious and stressed raise stressed and anxious baby from a mental health perspective we knew that providing diapers could change that and could make a difference in families we also looked at a from an economic perspective Imagine a family that's struggling. Uh, sometimes one of the parents is not working, uh, or maybe the single parent is not working, wants to get into the in, back into the workforce. And someone says, oh, well, there's a lot of programs that you can take advantage of. Go up to the Texas Workforce Commission, get yourself a job, some training. Okay, great. Then the next thing is like, you need to put that baby in, in daycare. 
okay, uh, I don't have money to pay for daycare. Yeah, well, you can get it subsidized. Not a problem. They show up with that baby at that daycare. And what is the first thing that daycare is going to ask for? Diapers. Diapers. So imagine if you don't have money for diapers. I've heard it from parents that mm -hmm. said, you know, I, I, I went through the whole process and then I went to the daycare and I just could not drop off my baby for that first day at work because I just didn't have the diapers. And I lost that job opportunity because of that. You know, I, I, I think that people don't realize that diapers impact a family or, you know, everything from the physical aspect to the mental aspect and to the financial well-being of a family. Man, that's we, absolutely amazing. Yeah. And just a, a moment of levity in that, because that just wrenched the hearts a little bit. Huh. I've also applied for work through the Texas Workforce Commission. So we've had the paper. And the TWC now. <laughs> Full circle, Brett. Full, Full circle. circle. <laughs> All right. So you have run this organization for 21 years. That's quite a long run for a CEO of any organization. Um, I have to believe that your banking and grant writing experience probably set you up for that very well. Um, but in this 21 years, what kind of culture have you created and what are you most proud of? I think that, well, there's several things that I'm very, very proud of because, you know, we we started off in a classroom uh, in a church on the on the west side of San Antonio, Texas. We're located off of Woodlawn and Sarsamoda. And so we started in one classroom and now we're in a 30,000 square foot facility with a proper warehouse, a proper volunteer space to, you know, volunteers are wonderful. We have over 4,500 volunteers that that show up and help us repackage and sort diapers and incontinence supplies and clothing and, and, and so on and so forth. But the support that we've been able to grow from the community and the, and, and being able to address this need. But what I'm also very grateful for is the fact that I have a group of 15 staff members that are very dedicated to this organization and are very mission driven. Uh, that is the, thing that I, I hope I can leave as a legacy to this organization. It's about really trying to serve and serve with dignity and respect to the people that need our help. One of the things that I, as, as I found in, you know, in trying to help people and refer them to other organizations, uh, people can have the best intentions of serving the poor and the needy, but it's very easy for people to get cynical and jaded in the services that they do. And they question why someone's knocking on their door. Did you see what car they were driving? Did you see what they were wearing? Did you see? You do not understand the circumstances of what people are going through. That person may have just lost their job. That car may be repo tomorrow. So if you're going to serve, serve without judgment, serve with respect and dignity to that individual and do it without, like I said, without judgment. And I think my staff gets it. And, and I think that that's what may, has made us successful because people know that there is no shame in coming and asking for help here. I love that. Serve with dignity and respect without judgment. I'm going to remember that and bring that back to the nonprofit boards that I serve <laughs> on. So thank you. If you're able to see in the future and somehow just miraculous, there is not a need for diapers, menstruation, sanitation, all this has been fixed. They're in good supply, access, availability, price, no longer barriers. What's the next biggest need that you see that would need to be addressed immediately after that? 
would definitely be the dream, but I think just like food, mm-hmm. it'll, the knee will always be there, Brett. You know, mm-hmm. being realistic yeah. about it, the knee will always we, be there. We know. We know it's there. It'll be and, there. And so... I think that, you know, there will always be some, some, some essential need. Uh, basic needs is one of the most under addressed issues affecting families. It's not, you know, one of, one of the challenges that we have had, and, and, and I'll talk about this is when we look at government, there is a measure for food insecurity. There is a measure for housing and there is a measure for uh, the average income a family will earn. So there's an economic measure, but there is no measure for essentials or basic needs. And that is a big hurdle that we have to get over because if we do not get government to recognize that that is something that needs to be addressed and should have a measure, it will never be It'll be it'll never be looked upon as a real need. Like I said, you know, it is a health essential. It's not just, you know, a luxury. You know, like I said before, uh, period supplies were classified as a luxury, yeah, which is crazy. ridiculous, wow. <laughs> right? Crazy. I mean, I beg like, to differ. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think that there's some work that we need to do, uh, especially in in that arena. Uh, I think that one of the issues right now that just like just as basic needs that I think that government needs to address, and I think that we're seeing it all across America and especially in some areas, is the homeless issue. You know, for us, it's it's one of those that goes hand in hand with essential needs. You know, if if you're homeless, you probably have essential needs and you're probably hungry. So it's, you know, one plus one plus one plus one, you know, equals poor, you know? <laughs> yeah. Those are all very worthy goals. Yeah. So Jorge, you spend a ton of time helping others and you've been doing this for a long time. It's not like this world is new to you, um, but you have a smile on your face and you have such a positive attitude. What do you do to keep your emotional bank full so that you can keep giving to others? Oh, my staff will tell you that maybe I'm not the most typical CEO <laughs> in that, uh, in the sense that I really am one of those, uh, I'm, I consider myself a little bit more right brain than left brain. Uh, even though I was in banking, I, I really right? have a what? creative, a cre- <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm very creative and I, and I try to think outside the box. Our logo is something I designed on a napkin, you know, uh, and so the name, I just thought of it, you know, in less than a second. And, and so, um, you know, it's, it's something that helps keep me motivated and growing is to keep that creative nature in me, uh, you know, uh, excited, uh, but also laughter, uh, in our office, we laugh a lot, you know, we smile, we laugh, we, we, we keep a sense of humor because what we do and you and and you and and especially like my intake specialist. I mean, I I tell them, you know, I know the work you do is hard. I was, you know, when I started in banking, I was in customer service. And if you're answering phones or you have the person in there yelling at you because you know they're you did some you know something happened with their account or whatever, it's very easy to just get in a bad mood and be in a bad mood, and then you know you 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 burn out and then you walk away. You know, uh, or, you know, like I talked about being cynical and jaded. It, it, it happens in this industry, especially with social workers. Uh, you have to keep some levity in in the work that you do because if not, it's going to drown you. 
the stories, the need, it'll drown you. And, and like I said, it'll lead up, it'll lead to burnout, you know, very easily. So when, when you think about that in your team, are there warning signs or tips you could give others that are trying to keep their teams from having the compassion fatigue or like there's things you go, Oh gosh, this mood is setting in. I'm hearing these words. This is an attitude that's becoming pervasive. Do you know when to bring the levity in or when you need to interject those items? I, uh, for us, you know, I really think that, you know, yes, as, as directors or bosses, you know, whatever you want to call us managers, we have a responsibility to keep our finger on the pulse. It's not all just about, you know, you can make it all about the clients and, 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 and all about the work, you know, trying to meet numbers and outputs and in inputs and all that other fun stuff as managers we do. But, uh, I think that you also have to understand that it takes people. You know, you don't want to be solving a problem and creating a problem. So you have to so look at it from that from that perspective. There, the people that work here, just as I, I I remind my staff, I'm human too. I mean, I have I have great ideas, I have bad ideas. They're not all gems, <laughs> but you know, you know, we, we we do our best, and and that's all we can do. I said I expect nothing more than your best, and that's it. And, 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 and just, you know, we, we, we also, you know, have are are right now in the process of adding on mental health days, you know, at least, and, you know, so everyone can just take a little bit of break, uh, you know, COVID happened and it really changed how we see work. We realized that you don't have to be in the office, you know, five days out of the week. Uh, but when I started this organization, one of the things that I did is that we created hours so that on Fridays, especially the intake specialist can leave by midday, you know, so that they can disconnect and have a, a longer work week. I also encourage staff not to work more than their 40 hours. I'm like, we try not to ever have to work more than 40 hours. Uh, because that's that's just going to lead to burnout. Mm -hmm. That's so fantastic. Just to I mean, again, don't try to don't cause a problem when you're fixing a problem. Just yes. get sticking to that root philosophy is amazing. So exactly. So Jorge, what is next for Texas Diaper Bank? So right now we're in the process of trying to refine our programs and make them better. Uh, for example, we have our parenting education program in which it's called Comparent. Once again, the, the approach is reducing stress and anxiety of the parent when they are trying to diaper their baby or potty train their baby or provide a safe environment for their home. We call it home safety. We're adding a, a Comparent for uh, car seats. And one of the nice things that we're doing for what we do with our parenting education is that the parent not only comes and learns, uh, you know, these new skills, but they get a kit. So say, for example, potty training, which is one of our biggest initiatives, you know, at eight, by age three, we want those parents to start potty training their, their baby so that they can take their baby off of diapers. And now they don't have that, that financial expense anymore. Uh, so we give them a kit. They get the potty training chair, the potty training books, reward stickers, the little baby underwears and wipes. They get everything so they can be successful with implementing these new skills that they just learned. 
because I, we've seen a lot of parenting programs that just teach, but they don't provide the resources. Once again, we're talking about needy families. So you know? smart. Yeah. So, so those are some of the things that we're working on. Another need that, that, that people uh, don't realize is that our families that are in the armed forces really need a lot of help. And, and, and it's one of those things that I've been trying to figure out how to, how do we do this? And so we're hoping to be able to serve military families and veteran families better. Um, I, I have a story where, uh, we were at our second location, uh, which was only 6,700 square feet, but it was, uh, it was, uh, one of those days where we were about to close on a Friday. There's a military dad that walks in in full fatigue young dad and he had two car you know two of those car seats in his hand and he had twin boys and he comes up to the window and it just so happens it's me and i'm just like you know god has a way of working so it's me there saying how can i help you sir and and he's like you know i was i was being relocated uh you know i'm i'm entry level so i don't make a lot of money i'm being relocated i used all my money to move all the furniture and all the kids clothing and supplies. I have zero money. And I was just told that I have to stay here two more weeks. Oh, no. He goes, I need formula. I need diapers. And he's a single dad. He had custody of both of those twin boys. And so, you know, what do you do? So it's one of, once again, one of those situations where it just makes you think about, he's not the only military dad that's being impacted and affected. And and I have a nephew who's in the military, and I can tell you he's in the Navy, and you know, uh he doesn't have it made because when you're starting out in the military, uh, you know, uh it 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 there's not a lot of financial resources that are coming in, you know, and so you need help. And and it's surprising how many military families are on SNAP, WIC, and so on and so forth. So serving military families is one of my passions, and we're trying to figure that one out. That makes a ton of sense. I think yeah. we can all agree we need to take better care of our military families for sure. Without a doubt. So you, obviously an inspiring story. You're bringing levity back to some of the saddest situations that here, there. you're serving them. You're fixing that need. It's a huge inspiration to us. What organizations or what people are you currently gleaning inspiration from yourself? I really look up to those national organizations that I work and partner with because I think that they approach things from a larger scale and and they really are trying to make an impact and and then how they partner with organizations such as ours is amazing to me because these are huge organizations uh for example uh, we have the National Diaper Bank Network that we are a part of. You know, they're trying to address these needs. They were the ones that really brought it on a national forefront uh, and put diaper need right up there. Um, and so without organizations like that, you know, or uh, companies such as Kimberly Clark, who donates a lot of diapers, wouldn't know where to donate these diapers or donate diapers at all. You know, so I think that these national organizations are pivotal to uh, diaper banks uh, and organizations that provide essential address essential needs across America, um, they're they're pivotal for our success. I mean, there's other organizations like there's one in LA, uh, Baby to Baby, that is comprised of uh, celebrity moms, and 
you know, you think about celebrity moms, but, you know, they they really understand the need. And I think that, you know, Nora and Kelly are doing an amazing job as the co-CEOs of this organization and and in addressing these needs. Uh, and then there's uh, Delivering Good in New York, whom we partner with. You know, it's the same idea, you know, using their uh, connections with major companies like uh, last uh, during COVID, you know, Polo Ralph Lauren stepped up and sent us a ton of donations. Uh, companies like Janie and Jack and Gap and, you know, so we really, really need uh, those big national organizations to be able to address essential needs on a local level. So I really looked up, look up to them and they inspire me every day. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you. We appreciate what you do. And if there's anything you haven't asked for us or our audience, please lay it on us. I, I just say thank you. And if anybody is interested in uh, more information or making a donation to our organization, our website is texasdiaperbank.org. Uh, and everything uh, can be found with a click of a button. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Well, I expected to learn a lot about the needs around diapers and period products, which we did, but the heartfelt lesson around how to give back with dignity and respect without judgment really touched my heart. And all of Jorge's great advice around the culture of their organization is inspiring. From keeping things mission-driven to ensuring people have adequate time off work to laughter in the workplace, it's all something we can apply in our organizations. If you want to learn more about this amazing company, you can find them at texasdiaperbank.org.